In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hi, this is Anne Filippi, founder of The New Health Club. If you want to know about psychedelics as new mental health tools, you came to the right place. I talk to innovators, thought leaders and disruptors, creating the future of mental health and mental wellness. And we think that the future is already here. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of The New Health Club Show. My guest today is Paul Stamets. If you haven't heard of him already. Paul is an American mycologist and entrepreneur, somebody who's really in the know about mushrooms. And Paul is an author and advocate of the medicinal fungi. Stamets runs Fungi Perfecti, a family-owned, environmentally friendly company specializing in using mushrooms to improve the health of the planet and its people. Fungi Perfecti has become synonymous with cutting-edge mycological research and innovative mycological solutions. Paul was talking about these mycological solutions already for years, and since the movie Fantastic Fungi that everybody should watch, one could call Stamets the emperor of mushrooms. At least we can do it here. And yes, also magic mushrooms that changed Paul's life long time ago. He often talks about his experience with magic mushrooms, and he's pretty well known for his mushrooms microdosing protocol. But Paul is not a big fan of using magic mushrooms in any other way than thoughtfully and purposeful, and he doesn't like the word shrooms at all. Paul is an incredible mind, an incredible entrepreneur, a perfect guest with millions of stories, and one of them is that Stamets once was the German name Steinmetz from Bavaria. And of course, we ended our conversation with me promising Paul to look for his ancestors in Bavaria. Other than that, this whole conversation is just about mushrooms. Please enjoy the show and Paul. Paul, um, Of course, we're super excited to have you finally on this show. And as I learned from um, Joe Rogan, you're one of the most requested people on the internet. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a big honor to have you, not only because of this, but also because um, I think you have a, a large uh, fan community in Europe now in the meantime. So why don't we just quickly start with your um, kind of current achievement, the uh, Fungi Perfecti project which uh, you describe as building a bridge between people and fungi. So maybe you just talk about this uh, for a, a warm-up. Okay. Well, I typically don't talk about my company. Um, so, But I've been involved in the study of fungi for all mm -hmm. my life. Um, mm -hmm. It's literally, um, I was attracted to the forbidden fruit, which is mushrooms. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, misunderstandings and misinformation about mushrooms, mm -hmm. you know, um, through folklore, through prejudices, what we call also mycophobia, the irrational fear mm -hmm. of fungi. And Eastern, mm -hmm. Eastern Europe is very mycophilic, um, in, mm -hmm. in France and Germany. Um, but in England, it's very mycophobic. And, oh, um, okay. Yeah. So when, and in Asia, typically mushrooms are looking upon as being rejuvenation, renewal, Is something springing mm -hmm. from the ground, mm -hmm. decomposition. And the British saw fungi as being, you know, representations of decomposition and death and destruction and, and disease. And unfortunately, that permeated into, into the medical community because uh, the medical community is greatly influenced by the English. Um, and so the concept of fungi were bad um, is permeated even to this day throughout the medical institutions where 
physicians are taught that fungi are, are pathogens that cause disease. Uh, but I challenge any physician, I've never met a physician that had, uh, besides Saccharomyces cerevisiae, making beer or bread, uh, <laughs> there has been no courses ever um, that I've ever heard in the medical uh, um, schools talking about the benefits of mushrooms. Uh, mm -hmm. It's always that fungi cause disease and not about how fungi um, and particularly mushrooms can help immunity. We do, this very well taught that fungi are a source of antibiotics so and antibiotic drugs to, to fight bacteria. But fungi beyond that has always been uh, viewed as representation of disease. So that's part of the forbidden fruit concept. So the great thing about our societies, especially today, is that we benefit from multi-ethnicity. And what that means is that there's ethnic knowledge you know, from North Africa, you know, from from Russia, you know, from France. Um, and when you have multi-ethnicities coming together, they come together with their specialized knowledge of mushrooms from their homeland. And so there's long traditions that go on for centuries. Some families have mushroom patches that have been in their family, you know, in France in particular, I know, and in Italy, mm -hmm. that are their secret, sacred mushroom patches that they protect and as part of their family heritage. And indeed, you know, many of the elder people I've met, their greatest memories are being as a child, walking with their grandparents, hunting truffles, yeah. hunting chanterelles. So it's part of the family culture. But moreover, it's, it's not the family culture, it's a community culture. Um, and so having this inputs of knowledge um, has really put us into a unique circumstance today where there is a worldwide awakening of the value of mushrooms across the planet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I believe habitats have immune systems, just like we do. And mycelium is a cellular bridge that joins us together. And since fungi create soils and healthier soils lead to greater biodiversity, biodiversity is biosecurity, which means that fungi are the keystone species for biosecurity in the ecosystem. By engaging fungi, we end up building the health of the soils that lead to the biodiversity that leads to homeostasis. And the more species we have, the more skill sets each species has to be able to bring to the forefront should there be a challenge or threat uh, to, the, to the commons, to the community of organisms that are created guilds to cooperate together to have a healthy ecosystem that benefits us all. So basically, um the whole, let's say, mycological society is coming, you could say. And I mean, just uh, before that we don't forget this, everybody should watch this amazing movie, Fantastic Fungi, about you, where you explain this in a much bigger sense. And it's also animated. And I mean, I watched it twice because it was so interesting what kind of, like how our systems are all affected by mushrooms, you could say. But of course, you also talk in this movie about um, your first magic mushroom experience and how it really changed you and your whole, I mean, your whole person, basically. So um, it would be great if you could just talk a little bit about that, how you got in touch with magic mushrooms first and how it really changed you as a person. Mm. Well, I always like to give credit to my older brother, John. He's since has passed away. But my brother oh. John went to Mexico and South America. They went to Yale uh, College, mm -hmm. Yale, Yale University. And so when he came back from Yale, um, talking about his vacation to Mexico in South America, eating magic mushrooms, I was the youngest of five children. And so my brother was, he's the oldest brother. So I, I adored him, idolized him. So when he came back with these fantastic stories of eating magic mushrooms in the mountains of Mesoamerica, I was just en entranced. And so we grew up in a, in a fairly large house in Ohio. My, my father was an industrialist, but we had a complete laboratory in the basement. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. talking about five rows of chemicals. My brother John went on to Yale to study in chemistry. He was a serious scientist. He would kind of park me in the corner and I could play but he did a serious work, but he ba banished me from the laboratory experiments. And, but my father was on the USS Intrepid aircraft carrier during World War II. 
And after World War II, he got the Intrepid aircraft carrier radio. And so I, we had this radio and I put up about two, uh, like I'll speak in meters, about a 75 to 100 meter long antenna. <laughs> being glass insulators between trees. And mm-hmm. I listened to coded messages uh, 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 on the other side of the Iron Curtain. And so I was thinking, <laughs> oh my God. all these spy communications from, from East, <laughs> East Germany, you know, and from Russia. And uh, it was, so I was just mesmerized by this. So I was sitting in the laboratory all the time and being, mm-hmm. my brother would let me play with a radio. And so I was fascinated by that environment. Then my brother went on to Yale and then I inherited the laboratory and now mm-hmm. I had free reign <laughs> And to do anything, and, wow. I, and I looked up every experiment that said danger do not bring near flame, because <laughs> I would, I, I wanted to build rockets and to explode things. And um, so okay. I, my dream is to have a laboratory complex and being a scientist. And uh, now I'm living my dream. I have a very large laboratories now. We produce mycelium mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in mushroom, but we grow about fifty to one hundred thousand kilos of mycelium a week. I have about 700 strains of fungi in my cultural library. I'm mm-hmm. very passionate about going into endangered ecosystems and taking samples. Oftentimes, it's about the tenth the size of my little fingernail is all I need, so I don't have to harvest the mushrooms. I just take a little piece of them, and I get them into the laboratory, and I culture mm-hmm. them. So I'm looking at screening our laboratory strains for potential immunologically beneficial properties uh, upregulating the immune system, um, and I've been long involved in antiviral um, testing of my mushroom strain. Okay, but I mean, like the it seems that the coming quickly back to the to the magic ones, they seem to have convinced you as a whole, like human being, to to open yourself up even more to mushrooms, right? Or like your experience with that. You know, it's um. It's a it's a very it's a subject that the more I think one discusses and understand it, the more depth mm-hmm. that there is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it had an enormous influence on me. I um, had a very serious stuttering habit, stammering. If any of you have seen the movie The King's Speech, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that was the degree of my stuttering, or maybe even worse, and. There are studies now, over 44 universities in the United States and in Europe are doing clinical studies on psilocybin. And the type of stuttering that I had, and I still do stutter a little bit, but it's 99%, uh, you know, it's resolved. And it came from this very intense magic mushroom experience. And my stuttering really resolved directly after that experience in six hours. And this is the interesting thing is, uh, and now, now I have a better understanding just recently, and I'll explain why. But the type of stuttering that I had, and many of you out there, if you meet a stutterer, don't finish their sentences. Please don't make fun of them. That's cruel. Why, why are you making fun of a stutterer? You know, that's just, that's, you're being an asshole, you know. It tells mm-hmm. us a lot more about you than about the person you're trying to make fun of. But our stu- the type of stuttering I had, I would not stutter to animals. Mm-hmm. I was fluent in talking to my dogs or my turtles or any pet, my cat. Did not stutter when you sang a song. Only stuttered when I talked to people. Okay. And so now we have just unveiled a microdose.me app, an app. You can go to microdose.me. Oh, okay. as an app for microdosing. Mm-hmm. And we have two peer articles that we're submitting to peer-reviewed medical journals. And we have astonishingly powerful um, results. There's over 4,000 non-microdosers in the study, 4,000 active microdosers, a pretty good parity of populations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is all blinded. Now we've unmasked the data. Uh, again, microdose.me, it's a free app for the iPhone, not for the Droid yet. We mm-hmm. have thousands of people participating. But we looked at depression, 
anxiety and mood. And astonishing results show that microdosing with dried mushrooms, mostly psilocybe cubensis, the, the mushrooms are most commonly sold in Europe and in the United States, um, in the underground, so to speak. And the microdosing of this significantly reduced anxiety, reduced depression, increased mood. Now, just not if you know about p-values, these p-values aren't just less than 0.05. We're looking at extraordinarily high significance. And the anxiety one, to me, showed me something that I realized. My stuttering was because of social anxiety. Mm -hmm. I would get hung up on a word. I'd be too self-reflective. I was worried about people making a judgment on me. When I start to stutter, there's more judgment. I stuttered more, more judgment. You know, and it's a, it's a spiral into the abyss. Mm -hmm. And you it's very difficult to get out of it. So I realized that my heroic dose on psilocybin and then this data that we have from microdosing substantially reduces anxiety. Mm -hmm. And the other message that I got is that I'm a good person. I, re I really am okay. a good person. I looked at my soul and I realized you're okay, Paul, you know, love yourself. And um, knowing that, it doesn't matter what people think of you. It matters what you think of yourself. You know, are you a person that you admire? Can you be a better person? Can you raise your expectations to be a more generous, kinder, intelligent, compassion, compassionate person? If you know that every time you move that goalpost, you get closer and better to that new goalpost and you become a better person, then that elevates you, literally. It elevates you into a higher state of consciousness. And I realize it doesn't matter what other people think, it's what I think internally, am I doing the right thing? And when I reframed for my heroic dose of psilocybin, and then we know now from the microdosing studies, so, a lot of us are now subscribing to the philosophy, and again, this is a hypothesis of, of therapeutic use, uh, occasional heroic doses of psilocybin, and then afterwards, microdosing. Because at Johns Hopkins, for instance, in mm -hmm. the, one of the clinical studies using psilocybin, the pure, com pure molecule, 14 months later, when people re-remembered the experience, it turned out to be therapeutically beneficial from the memory. So right. a lot of people suffering from PTSD, when they had these therapeutic doses of psilocybin, they could resolve a lot of these issues they've had. Very commonly said, these issues were bigger issues than they needed to be. Having gone to this spiritual experience on psilocybin, they came to a resolution, they put it in perspective, and then because they put it into resolution, that experience was very positive. So they had a memory of that positive therapeutic dose and experience. And by re-remembering it, it was therapeutically beneficial more than a year or two years later. Well, similarly, what is your memory? Well, your memory is neurological pathways that are resonant, that re-spark, and that's how we remember things. So if you have a heroic dose of psilocybin, you have this therapeutically beneficial event. It neurologically becomes entrained, resident, you know, within your brain, within your own neurology. And then when you cognitively re-remember it, just like microdosing re-stimulates these neurological pathways, a lot of us now are thinking that, wow, microdosing may really work because it reinvigorates the, pod, the pathways that mm -hmm. led to a positive reckoning, a positive therapeutic response. So it's not only re-remembering it, you know, in your mind psychologically, but it's re-stimulating uh, the same neurological pathways through microdosing oh, that okay. were the breakthrough experience, you know, paved the way. Yeah. And now we are on that path again 
through microdosing. So we think the two go, go together, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You're, you're okay. re-remembering the experience, and neurologically, by re-remembering, you're activating the same neurological pathways that gave resident, uh, resonance to that memory. Yeah, it makes total sense. And it makes it's an interesting new approach also to it, I feel. And I mean, obviously, like there's James Fadiman's protocol for microdosing LSD, and this is the one well-known uh, protocol, but yours for microdosing psilocybin is the other, in the meantime, pretty well-known. So maybe you can talk a little bit about your protocol that you developed. Well, Jim and I are good friends. And uh, mm-hmm. Jim and I, you know, we talk to each other and we're making educated guesses. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we have reasons for saying what we do. They're, they're based on science. Um, I, I am suggesting a on the psilocybe cubensis scale, the most commonly grown psilocybe mushrooms available in the world that can be grown all year round. At 1% psilocybin, um, that's about 10 milligrams. And I am suggesting one-tenth of one gram of, psil- of psilocybin mushrooms, about one milligram or less of mm-hmm. psilocybin. That's below the threshold of experience. By definition, a microdose means you don't feel it. Mm-hmm. So if exactly. you take some psilocybin mushrooms and you feel it, even a small amount, if you feel it, that's not a microdose. That is an effective dose to change your consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's known as subsensorium, below the threshold of you being able to sense. So you take a subsensorium dose. From my experience, it's one-tenth of a gram or less. James Fadiman recommends up to 0.4 grams. I said, I said, I think that the mushrooms he was getting, he was getting were not that potent. <laughs> so he <we laughs> ate more. Um, but um, so okay. I think his, his, his protocol is a little bit higher than mine. You do mm-hmm. normalize. So if you did feel a liftoff dose and you took the same amount the next day, it'd be less and less, you know, progressively, you know, on consecutive days. But James recommends it. One day on, two days off, one day on. Mm-hmm. I'm suggesting four days on uh, to five days on, you know, break on the weekend, whatever you want to, Monday through Fridays, take Saturday and Sunday off, or Monday through Thursdays, take Friday, Saturday and Sunday is off. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so this is obviously not used for partying. So for the rave scene, this is, this is contraindicated for the rave community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they think they were under microdosing during during the weekends. Um, but yeah. no, I, I, the idea is to watch the receptors so they renormalize. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a stimulus response relationship. And, but we have very good evidence right now. And if you've seen my uh, talks recently, I have one at, at MAPS. That's a, yeah. at mm-hmm. And I talk about, you can see all the data tables, the research that we've done with um, neurogenesis, uh, with psilocybin analogs, um, talking about the um, stimulation of psilocybin analogs in causing neurogenesis, brain neurons to regrow. Uh, substantially similar to that of what's called BDNF, brain-derived nerve, nerve factors. And this is the golden, the golden standard for looking at neurogenesis. So compared to baseline, we're able to stimulate neurons to regrow over a period of about 7 to 12 days. This also fits into microdosing. Uh, heroic dose of psilocybin is for six, six hours. How many new neurons do you build in six hours? I, I suggest to you, not very many, compared to how many neurons do you build in a week? So, you know, you neurogenesis, it means cell divisions. So mm-hmm. the more time you have for cell divisions downstream, the more uh, neuroic proliferation there is. So the mm-hmm. idea with neurogenesis I think psilocybin builds intelligence. I think psilocybin mushrooms are Einstein mushrooms. Psilocybin mushrooms will increase your, your intelligence. And we need more intelligent, more compassionate, more empathetic, more kinder uh, people on this planet. I mean, who is against that? Um, yeah. I made that statement exactly as I stated. And there is, and about twenty thousand people s- said they agreed, but eight people said they did. They disagreed. The FDA, I mean, <laughs> who are the eight people who do not want to become more intelligent? Yeah, well, then <laughs> now we have another 
uh, way to convince them. But I mean, uh, so are you saying that, let's say, the hero dose or the, the, the big dose psilocybin that you might have in a guided retreat situation, um, is might you might say it's preparing your brain for microdosing much better? Could you say that? I mean, is that yeah. a theory? And I also think it's re-remembering the experience in and of itself because you feel a joy and compassion. But that yeah. re-remembering is activating the same neurological pathways by nurturing mm -hmm. those pathways with microdosing. You support neurologically neurogenesis, the, okay. the creation and the structure. We're all losing a lot of neurons every day, and we're always repairing them and growing more. It mm -hmm. was thought that the, the entire brain was wired up until adolescence and you built new, no new neurons. Well, that, that theory has been thrown out. So okay. clearly, clearly, you know, we can regenerate uh, uh, brain neurons. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it looks like these psilocybin analogs are particularly um, powerful. And this also means that psilocybin mushrooms with these analogs could benefit you because they have the entourage effect. Whereas psilocybin, as a pure molecule, does not have the entourage effect. It might give you the experience, but we are very deep in doing research showing that the entourage effect of the psilocybin and psilocybin analogs um, fundamentally uh, increase your neurogenesis compared to psilocybin by itself. Okay, wow, interesting. So the natural product may, may be better than the pure molecule. Mm -hmm. And would would you say that it's a spiritual plant, the magic mushroom? You know, I, I have seven books out, but my one book, Psilocybin Mushrooms of the World, you know, that I wrote in 1996. You know, I said at the end of the foreword, uh, there is no doubt in my mind that these are spiritual medicines. Mm -hmm. But moreover, I see a convergence of science and spirit spirituality. I am not religious, but I am deeply spiritual. Who could not be spiritual looking at the extent of the galaxies and the universe and the billions of stars and planets? The more that we study nature, the more that we realize how vast it is and that you, Anne, and I are just temporarily a molecular configuration of stardust that have come together in this form and we're speaking now but we're going to disambiguate we're going to fall apart our molecules are going to stream back into the abyss mm -hmm. from which we sprang i think that's not a bad thing i think that's the way of nature and the way of existence mm -hmm. the more that we recognize you know the way of our existence is a natural phenomenon then When we lose a loved one, and I've lost some dear loved ones. I lost my brother. I lost my mother. I lost my father. I was by my father's side when he died. And my father was in a coma. And then at two in the morning, I was beside his bed. I was the only one in, in his bed in the hospital. And he I was unconscious for three or four days. And at the moment of death... And some of your listeners have seen this. If you've watched someone pass, at the moment of his death, his eyes opened up. Mm -hmm. He arched his back. It's hard to describe this, but his eyes went blue, with like a blue light. They shined. And for about five seconds, I, this, he awoke. You know, he didn't have consciousness necessarily, but he... he His eyes got bright, he arched his back, and then <gasps> he died. That shook me to my core. And then I realized this is why people believe in spirit. When you witness something like that, you know. And then he was just a body. He was no longer my dad. Mm -hmm. He was now a dead body. And when I saw that experience, it really made me wonder, where did he go? Yeah, it's a question. I mean, even if you're not religious, it's a question. Where where, where do people go? Yeah, what happened? After this, yeah. So I'm, I feel more reconciled now because of my doses with psilocybin, there's a 
there's the the unity with one giant consciousness mm -hmm. to realize that you're part of this enormous oneness and it's greeting you with open arms is there has enormous enormous wisdom and knowledge it's based on on the power of goodness and and um and kindness i believe the universe is kind and and our existence is part of this one unanimity of consciousness and i think that we just have a very thin understanding and slice of what of what that is and as a result we're provincial we're ignorant we're uneducated we don't have the word skills the language to be able to explain this mm. it's beyond our ability to communicate the vastness of the idea that we enter into and when you enter into the microverse which i call the microverse you enter into this giant uh landscape that you realize is all around us all the time and that we all exist vibrantly uh, together. It's just that we reassimilate in different forms. Anyhow, all right. Well, it's very powerful what you're saying. It's very interesting to look at it that way. I mean, so that means also that this kind of thinking will have more room actually now since we, um, after the election, we had so many states in, in the U.S., opening up to kind of um, to a different approach to it. You could almost say like plant medicine, including cannabis too. So, and um, there were so many articles saying the war on drugs is on the way out. Um, like the drugs are the winner of this election. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> which is a nice thought. Um, but so how, how do you feel about this? Does, I mean, after this time in America that was looking at it from Europe, I mean, I was there in 2016, but then I left and it was, it seems like a very repressed atmosphere these four years. I represent the majority of Americans and sending yeah. our, our sincere apologies. <laughs> okay, good. We apologize. <laughs> We are so sorry. Um, yeah, it's this okay. Is not, this is not the best of America. This is no, not, we know that. I, I love America. I mean, well, you just not the way you want your children to behave. No, and this is true. a great contradiction that hurts us. You know, just it hurts our soul. How can these Christians who have who espouse all the the golden rule, do unto others as you wish them to do to you, to be kind, to give forgiveness? How can we have a leader that's supported by the Christian movement? Mm -hmm. um, it is totally hypocritical it's it's antithetical to their basic belief uh, our country was torn apart mm -hmm. and i personally and people can disagree with me i'm happy that people disagree with me we all are entitled to our own opinions i feel like this is the last gasp and if i use a football analogy it's called the hail mary pass of of the sexist misogynistic white male dominated society that was fearful of change, fearful of the technological revolution, the, the, the revolution in gay rights, the revolution in recognizing the importance of, of ethnic diversity and mm -hmm. the respect for all peoples. And so I think the old paradigm foundations and older people have more money than younger people. They were trying to hold on to those structures Mm -hmm. that were basically threatened with extinction. And so I think this was a Hail Mary pass, a last gasp. Uh, and, oh, my God, they actually crossed the finish line and they, they elected this past president. Um, yeah. But I think it's, um, it's a lesson on not how to act. So I think the pendulum will swing. Mm -hmm. And I think as we have an opportunity to be able to regain our principles that are based on Christian, Muslim, Hindu, uh, Jewish, Jewish tenets. All those religions hold in common uh, the same central principles of kindness and forgiveness um, and the golden rule. And so, I again, I, I hope it's our time, and that's why I think the use of psychedelics and psilocybin, it crosses political lines because what's happened in the United States 
is the addiction to opioids mm-hmm. um, has been devastating. Uh, far right Republican senators, congressmen, congresswomen have relatives or children that have been affected by the opioid crisis. And they know the war on drugs has not worked. And to see that such a powerful medicine. And just yesterday, I heard a lecture from Johns Hopkins, which is a 66% success rate in breaking cigarette addiction. All right. Mm-hmm. One psilocybin session mm-hmm. with, uh, with nicotine being one of the most addictive drugs ever. And nothing comes close to this. One psilocybin session has a 66% uh, likelihood of you being tobacco-free for more than two years. That's phenomenal. That's pretty good. Yeah. And the same that we're seeing with other addictive substances. And it's because it's, it then allows the brain to renormalize prior to this addictive state. And then if you can capitalize on that with a therapist who's trained, and especially therapy, with with many of us who are not as traumatized – you know, we can do a lot of self-therapy. We can we understand, you know, how to resolve our issues may not be as major as those issues that people who have been traumatized through rape, war, PTSD of anything. They need extra help. And having a guided professional therapist, I think, results in a much higher uh, probability of successful outcome. Mm-hmm. So but this is why I think the revolution and the legalization or decriminalization of psychedelics has gained so much traction is the medical community is looking at this objectively as as you know as as fact-based medicine what does the data show put all your prejudices on psychedelics off to the side look at the pure data then without prejudice look at the data and see the outcomes anyone without prejudice you know in the medical community the scientific community, it looks at the end results, you know, it's very, very clear that these are some of the most powerfully effective medicines um, that have ever been discovered. But but do you think a nation can be traumatized? Do you oh, think yeah. that? Okay, I'm, you're from Europe, so I, yeah. I, I plead my ignorance, okay? But yeah, <laughs> you're they, fine. Okay, so if I, again... <laughs> I'm sure you can vilify for me. You can vilify me on this. No, no. I went to I went to Slovenia. Mm-hmm. I love Slovenia. Slovenia mm-hmm. is mostly forested, thanks to this amazing queen. When the villages all burned down uh, in in the capital of of Slovenia, um, she passed an edict that all the houses thereafter have to be built of stone. And so this is like hundreds of years ago. So as a result, the forests were not cut down, right? So Slovenia yeah. is heavily forested. Slovenia is a very, as a population, a very happy people. I went to Croatia. Mm. And Croatia Different. is a country that's been traumatized. Mm. You know, it was clearly evident to me that the people were traumatized. You go into any, uh, any community that has been traumatized by war, then you have generational effects of trauma where the parents are traumatized. They can reflect their trauma back onto their children. You have generational trauma. Sure. And if you're abused by a child, when you're a child and you're abused, and this is so clear, especially in my own life, I've had very dear friends and loved ones. You know, my, one of my ex partners, was abused as when she was a child and uh, she grew up to be an abuser. And so I can see this pattern of abuse. It becomes multi-generational by mm-hmm. breaking that pattern of abuse. Mm-hmm. You, you not only save that person, but downstream family members, your descendants, and then not only your family, but your neighbors, not only your neighbors, but your community, not only your community, but your country. And so I think this is a literally a solution from the underground that enters into these families who are suffering trauma and can be paradigm shifting for preventing multi-generational abuse. 
But there was even a webinar shortly before the elections, I think from Harvard, and the, the, the topic was, can psychedelics save America? So your answer is yes, right? I mean, I assume. <laughs> well, I think um, I have great hope that microdosing with psilocybin will become a vitamin mm -hmm. that people take mm -hmm. uh, frequently because we all suffer from dementia. We all, unfortunately, um, lose our mental acumen, you know, our cognitive decline with age is just a fact of life. Mm. That's why I think psilocybin uh, is an Einstein molecule. I think uh, it, we only we already know it builds neurons and the psilocybin analogs, and we already know it increases cognition. Mm -hmm. We have very increasingly good evidence um, that it can fundamentally improve your mental health. And when you have less anxiety, you have less depression, you're in a better mood, you're more creative. Right. And you're, when you're more creative, you're working on an art project, you're writing a new book, you're doing something, you're building a house, whatever, and you're creative, the next morning when you wake up, you want to get back to your creative enterprise. Mm -hmm. You're excited. Mm -hmm. You're happier. So creativity leads to happiness. And the, if you are not depressed and not don't have anxiety and you're in a better mood, you're more creative. If you're more creative, you're happier. If you're happier, you're more creative and you're in a better mood. So I think it's a it's a truly a binary fork in in your progression of your life. So so you're saying it's kind of it's it's entering soon in the the group of vitamins where we don't, if you would microdose with psilocybin in, in the way that you wouldn't feel it, like you said earlier. So, but you could use the benefits of microdosing without being on a psychedelic, basically. That's true. Now, to be a contrarian to my own philosophy, there is a concern about heart valve interference with the 5-H2A and 2B receptor. The idea is that there's a, another drug that interferes with that, and that could lead to uh, a heart valve disease condition. Mm -hmm. um, that has been suggested as a potential negative consequence, but there's no evidence of that yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, no one's ever reported it. They just mm -hmm. theoretically report it because of another drug that activates the same receptors, and they would thought that this could be a heart valve disease. So it's a good to have a precautionary attitude towards this, um, but... We have a, thousands of people in our microdose study. No one's reporting any heart issues. Um, okay. So it, it may be a fact without significance, if you know what I mean. As mm -hmm. a actually mm -hmm. correct high doses, yes, with some people. But microdosing is, is so low uh, in the amount that you're taking by definition. I think that we'll eventually come to a, a very specified amount over time as the science progresses. Okay. Well, I mean, we could, of course, talk for hours, but I know you have to go. It's exactly the time your amazing assistant told us to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me just close. I have a, a website that I populate for physicians and scientists. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's unbranded. It's just pure science. It's mushroomreferences.com. Okay. We put that in show notes. You can look up all the psilocybin studies or most all of them. Mm-hmm. You can put in lion's mane, you can put in Alzheimer's, you can put in virus, you can, it's very good searchable. And you can see some of the best articles that have been published in the scientific peer-reviewed literature. Because what my job is so much is educating physicians uh, who don't have much time. They need to quickly get to the best data to be able to form an educated opinion. The biggest problem I've had is physicians who are uneducated. Mm -hmm. So when physicians say this stuff is bullshit, it doesn't work, medicinal mushrooms have no value, I like to say, show me your publications on medicinal mushrooms. I didn't know you were an expert in this subject. Yeah. Of course, they have none, right? Sure. So, but rather than being, being insulting, you know, uh, you know, but sometimes I've had to be, have some bravado because, of, you know, that's the way it is. Um, but more, more importantly, mushroomreferences.com has a lot of excellent Uh, material for researchers and physicians. And then my personal website, also not branded, is uh, paulstamets.com. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see uh, many of the articles I've published in the scientific literature. And um, I just want to close that 
we are at the threshold of a paradigm shift in the evolution of our consciousness and the evolution of the human species. It is important for us to wake up at a time critical to engage nature, to be able to support the biodiversity, the multi-ethnicity, uh, and the ability for all of us to work together for a better future. And I think that these psilocybin molecules are the spark mm -hmm. uh, to be able to cause the neurogenesis that, that's needed for us to, to, to do this. Okay. Well, I have one last question about Alliance Main. So if I want to have like a focus microdose for a day, like, like that I take on a daily basis, how would that look like? Well, uh, the lion's mane mycelium causes mm -hmm. neurogenesis. The lion's mane mushrooms inhibit it. Okay. So it's not the mushrooms that, that contributed to neurogenesis. It's the lion's mane mycelium. There are several reports on this. We've also proved this in the laboratory. So make mm -hmm. sure you take what's certified organic lion's mane mycelium grown mm -hmm. on grain. Uh, we found that the grain is, is fermented. And the fermented grain has powerful properties. It's like, you know, yogurt, yo milk is not a filler for yogurt. Yogurt is fermented milk. So the grain is fermented by the lion's mane mycelium and produces this huge repertoire of extremely interesting and complementary immunologically beneficial compounds. So okay. 500 milligrams uh, to a gram of lion's mane mycelium grown on grain, and then you stack it with the psilocybin mushroom of your choice, again, to make sure it is below the threshold of any noticeable effect, so you're not getting intoxicated. Yeah. And then if you go to microdose.me, we have tap tests, yeah, we have memory I will do tests, that. we have hearing tests, we have vision tests, and you can chart whether this is has, has had an influence on you positively or negatively uh, over time. So microdose.me has the way of you measuring uh, mm -hmm. whether you're having any positive or negative effects. Perfect. I will do that. And then we're all going to be like a little Einstein community, I guess, hopefully. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I know you're a super busy person and I'm, I'm super excited that you've done this. And um, thank you very much. It's super interesting. And again, like we could go on for, of course, for the next 10 hours, but um, Longer this than is just that. a little <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. Have a great day and um, enjoy your Friday. I think it's. Okay, Anna, you didn't tell me what country you're from. Where, where Germany. You Germany. You're from Germany. Okay. My, my last name Stamets was Steinmetz. Really? Oh my yes. God. All these Germans. <laughs> and why is it Stamets? Well, let me tell you, I'm going to go over, but I, I have a few more minutes. Yeah. But let me tell you a great story, and I have the record of this. I have a letter from 1821 <laughs> that was that was retyped re on typewriter in 1883. <laughs> Philip so Steinmetz uh, uh -huh. in Bavaria. And, uh, and in the 1700s, like 1750, he was the, the sole son of... Um, of uh, his parents who were very wealthy, had many thousands of acres of this giant estate. He grew up in royalty. But Philip Simons wow. got, got in a fight with his father when he was mm -hmm. about 17, and he ran away. He went to France. He was hungry, so he killed a deer, but it was on the king's property. Oh. So, the king, so he was thrown into prison. He and two of his colleagues broke out of prison, jumped on a ship, and went to America. And so he landed in, <laughs> in Virginia around 1760. <laughs> he became part of the Revolutionary War movement to oppose the Brits, the British. Yeah. A lot of German mercenaries were being hired by the British to fight the revolutionary people. So they anglicized his name from Steinmetz to Stamets. Because they didn't oh. want to be associated with German mercenaries. Uh -huh. Now the story gets better, and so the commandant in in the fields, the British field uh, uh, fort in Virginia, mm -hmm. uh, fell in love with my great 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 grandmother. And in the report that I had, he vanquished 
every American he challenged to a duel. So this British officer was renowned at picking fights, having duels and killing Americans, the revolutionary Americans. So he challenged my grandfather and they flipped the coin to choose the weapon. And my grandfather chose swords on horseback. Oh, my God. The British commandant <laughs> didn't realize that he was trained uh, in Germany as German royalty. And this is something he grew up doing. You know, he was very, very oh. skilled. Yeah. So in the town square, facing the British commander and my great-grandfather on horseback, with my grandmother in the audience and all the soldiers and the town people, they charged each other. And my grandfather, Philip Steinmetz, beheaded the, the, the British general and literally grabbed my grandmother and rode out of town. And, and okay. that's, why that's why I'm here today. Wow. Okay. That's so interesting. So have you ever been to Bavaria then? I went, there's two towns in Germany. It's confusing. There's two towns with the very same name. I could send it to you. <laughs> yeah. um, but and then in 1840 or something, the mm -hmm. German, the, the at that time, what, the, what was the, the German government, because there was no inheritors to this estate, they sent over lawyers to find the, the next of kin, the next descendants. And by the time the letters made it to my my great-great-grandfather and mother, um, the German government nationalized uh, the property. So some some big park in Germany was was my family's estate. And back then it was worth $16 million, $16 million were in the inheritance, which I calculate out to about $4 billion today. So, oh my God, that's getting more and more interesting. I'm entitled to $4 billion somewhere in Germany. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> so if anything goes wrong in America, you, you just come to Germany. Anyhow, I'll go ahead and I'll send you this, this, this letter. It's a real, maybe you can track down, you know, what. Yeah, we find them. If it's four billion, I'm, I'm up for it to find them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you much. Take Thank care. you so much. Have a good day. Right. Talk to well. you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.